0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbas of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martini's coming up. Happy, happy, happy Thursday. Hope you are well. It is the Three Martini Lunch. Greg Corumbas is out. I'm filling in for him. I'm Chad Benson, Chad Benson Show. As always, Jim Garrity is here, and uh, we've got your good, we've got your bad, and we've got your crazy day. Let's lead off uh, to start your lunch with a little bit of good. Lee Zeldin, New York. Kathy Hochul, New York. The race is it really close, or is that just a fantasy? Well, I don't think it's a
1: fantasy. And my colleague Dan McLaughlin had a very interesting observation when he looked at the you know uh, Real Clear Politics is, does a very nice job of you know putting keeping track of all the polls, organizing them by date, and you can see if there's any kind of change you know from pollster to pollster. And, you know, in at the beginning of September, there was an argument of, oh, Trafalgar has, you know, Hockle only up by five. But that's, you know, most of them have it in double digits. They're an outlier. No big deal. Well, the last five, Quinnipiac has Hockle ahead by four. Siena has Hockle up by 11. Schubert and Cooperman has Hockle up by six. Marist has Hogel up by eight, and Trafalgar has him up by two. So yeah, if you want to argue Trafalgar is the most um, generous to Lee Zeldin out of them, fine. But the the average comes out to 6.2. Now, I don't think Lee Zeldin's going to win, but I do wonder if we're headed towards one of those unbelievably close, you know, no one figured it would be, you know, come down to the margin like this, kind of similar to the New Jersey governor's race of a year ago and this has significant uh, impact down ticket there are about 5 us house races in the state of new york generally in suburban territory where uh could go either way and republicans could pick up a bunch of seats there again republicans are expected to win a house majority they don't need a lot but that's uh kind of significant there you could you know basically new york could kind of give it to them by themselves and then the other thing is just kind of interesting question of okay you look back at history of this uh, of the New York governor's race look oh, ever since George Pataki New York's been a very democratic state right uh, I went back 2018 Andrew Cuomo but may he never return uh won by 23 percentage points 2014 he won by 14 percentage points so that kind of gives you a sense of what the range usually is that you know in a, in a good year for republicans like 24 2014 you know, he'll win by about, eh, you know, 14, 15 points, something like that. And by a really good year for Democrats, like 2018, he'll win by 23. So what does it say if Hockle's up by six or something in that neighborhood? Um, maybe hockle is uniquely uh, weak as a candidate. She's never been elected on her own. She was the lieutenant governor, took over after Cuomo. You can talk yourself into reasons why she would have a smaller than usual lead, but, but mid single digits is really low by New York standards. And it's the sort of thing that I think may be an indicator. Like this is where you start thinking, okay, maybe it's not just a red wave. We're dealing with a full fledged red tsunami.
0: Now, do you honestly feel like, cause I look at it and again, you know, even California as wacky as it is, you know, we've had Pete Wilson, you had the governor to, uh, you, you, you get that once in a while, great outlier, I just, you know, in some places, I just don't ever see it happening. And that's one of those places where, you know, again, too close for comfort, but I still just feel like it's such a democratic thing. And there's just, I don't, it would have to be so bad. And I often wonder that, Jimmy. like, how bad does it have to get before you go, you know what, it's time to change jockeys? Yeah, I mean, by the way,
1: you know, with the, if I'd written in a novel that, uh, you know, the, a big issue was crime. And the Republican candidate for governor was nearly stabbed (laughs) at a rally. And then because of bail laws, the guy who nearly stabbed him was released that afternoon uh, because of bail laws in place because of the Democratic incumbent. People would think that was like wild exaggeration or, or, you know, ham, heavy handed symbolism and all that kind of stuff. Um, but as for that state of California, look, I, I you know, Newsom's going to win re-election by a wide margin. There aren't a lot of, there are a couple competitive House races out there. And the other thing, which, you know, there's one statewide race where I think the Republican has a shot. That's the California controller, which actually has a decent amount of uh, say about kind of auditing the state and looking for wasteful spending and, and things like that. Lanhee Chen uh, has a shot of growing up against Malia Cohen. Uh, I wouldn't guarantee it, but that's the one statewide race you might want to indicate. And if that goes for Republicans, honestly, by by, by California standards, that's a good year for Republicans.
0: Uh, it is the uh, the good, the bad. The it's a uh, you know the crazy. It's a three martini lunch. We're just getting you relaxed, and we've hit you with the good. Now the bad. And I lived there for a decade, and it is. I I love the UK. I love. I lived in Scotland. I lived in England. I. I look at it as my second home, and it is a hot mess. Liz trusts no one. Trust in Liz, and she's now gone. And it was what forty four glorious days. She didn't even have time to unpack.
1: No, and you know, I saw a, a couple of good jokes about she lasted basically four point one Scaramucci units. Yes, um, and by the way, for Anthony Scaramucci uh, this morning tweeted. Well, you know, at least she lasted longer than the milk in the fridge. I couldn't even do that. Which I, I, I want to salute Scaramucci for having just a good sense of humor and an ability to laugh at himself and things in life that didn't turn out the way he wanted them to. But this is look, we we knew Boris Johnson was was hitting the rocks. We knew that he didn't have one clear successor in the UK Conservative Party. They the, the other thing is this when it's in this weird situation, they don't really elect them, right? It's kind of the same, you know, the internal party. Uh, members of parliament choose who they want to be the next prime minister. And she came out with a tax plan. She came out with a a very Reaganite approach that I think a lot of folks over in the U.S. liked. The British markets freaked out at that uh, and really started off on the wrong, really just a a terribly sour note. And I don't think Truss was ever able to regalvanize support in this. And this is one of the consequences of being in a parliamentary system you need your party pretty much fairly unified behind you at all times, depending on the size of that majority. And Truss just, you know, fell flat on her face early on and and just could not seem to recover it. What makes this a particularly bad martini is like, look, on the one hand, it's up to the British conservatives to decide who their leaders ought to be. And it's up to the British people to decide who they're, who they're you know, uh, who, who should have their parliamentary majority and thus be the prime minister, uh, you know. But this is kind of a tough time for us, for our closest ally in Europe, to be having this kind of um, seeming paralysis of an inability to unite behind one leader and have one clear course that they want to go in direction for. I think they're due for an election in about another year or two. And, uh, you know, they are, you know, they don't have regularly scheduled elections the way we do. Once a prime minister wins a majority, I believe they basically have about five years before they have to, Hold one, but they can hold an election anytime they want, and basically hold them. You know, if they in three weeks we're doing it. They have very short, very intense campaign seasons over there. I don't think they're going to do this. If you're the Conservative Party, you think your you know your party's in chaos. It's internally divided. There's no way that you're going to be able to rewin your majority. Uh, I'm sure Labour is kind of licking their licking their chops at this point. But uh, you know, it, we the rest of the world kind of needs UK to have one clear leader and a clear voice at this time. Uh, I'm sure, you know, there's not a lot of good news over in Russia these days, but I'm sure seeing uh, political chaos in the UK probably brings a smile to Vladimir Putin's face. So hopefully they get their act together. Hopefully there's someone emerges as the next clear leader over there, uh, because otherwise it just seems like it's a game of musical chairs.
0: Well, we can talk about that someone because people are starting to point out there's a very real chance that Boris is back. Uh, which yeah. is crazy—the even... Grover Cleveland think. of
1: uh, <laughs> British parliamentary politics. <laughs> which would be weird. Which would be, be exceptionally weird for people to be writing his political obituaries. And uh, a very to- look. Let's face it: if you're going to take over a uh, major part, a major country in the in the world, late 2019 was a very rough time to do so, <laughs> because COVID-19 was right around the corner. The economic consequences of that um you know boris johnson had a very tumultuous three years and i think most people thought that he was spent politically uh perhaps not physically uh from the ordeal of, of trying to run the country during all that time um and you know gradual loss of confidence and i you know a lot of conservatives that i know who are i b- both you know british conservative party members and ideological conservatives looked at him and said other than Brexit, he really wasn't that much of a small government conservative. He was basically big government Labor Party policies with a conservative you know name on it. And they said, okay, well, that's it. That's how much, you know, that that blew up in his face. You know, you you're not you're not distinct enough from the opposition. Uh if he came back, this would be a spectacularly weird and ironic turn of events. And I think maybe at the heart of it, it's that the, you know, the UK people do not have clear answers about. Uh, what they actually want in their leadership and what direction they want to go in.
0: Uh, Chad Benson in for a great Columbus. It is the three martini lunch. We've given you the good, we've given you the bad. Now, a little bit of crazy, and you can call it a bit of that. I'm actually in the midst of all of this, and uh, she won't come on our local show, even though I've had both Katie Hobbs and Carrie Lake on, our, uh, on my local show, but neither of them will come on anymore because uh, they don't like it. But uh, I, I, I'm telling you, Jim, I got to be honest. I think the not debating Kerry Lake is a stupid move. And, you know, you got a governor's race that's the highest profile race in maybe the country for a single race, partly because Katie Hobbs was made a superstar that I don't think the Democrats really wanted. But because of what happened in the 2020 election, they were, she was thrust upon this. And on the other side of it, Kerry Lake is she gets politics. She's loud, she's divisive, but she looks the part, and if I'm Katie Hobbs, I'd have a tough time debating her too, but I think you have to.
1: I was going to say Chad, the fact that you have actually had a chance to interview her, you can give me perspective that I've, you know, not being out there, I've kind of wanted to get a a better insight on. Is Katie Hobbs as charisma and communication challenged as it seems Democrats are saying she is these days?
0: Uh, let me tell you, Jim, like, oh my God, I am so not that way. Okay. That's a lot of what you get from her. Uh, Mm. and I don't know if you got to see her at the Latino coalition. Did you see any or hear any of that? I have not. No. She was asked a question about what have you learned from the Latino community? And it may, outside of screaming the word spaghetti, it was... (laughs) uncomfortable. And mm. they gave her opportunity after opportunity. One of our she just accepted uh you know the nomination not the nomination but like the backing of some group and our reporter that's down there uh you know she did the report and then she texted us and she goes I'm just going to tell you guys this right now. She is beyond unimpressive and it is sad to watch. She has zero communication skills. At times she dresses like she just woke up and I Ugh. feel like I don't understand why you don't want to debate her, but the reality is is when she says stuff like when you ask her a question and she'll say, well, you should check out my website, I'm wondering, you can't be this bad. There's got to be something wrong with you. I mean, even Fetterman's going to debate. But if I'm her, I understand why I don't want to debate Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake is a shark, and she's looking for somebody to, to gobble down, and she wants—somebody described the other day, it's Godzilla versus Bambi.
1: Hmm. This is starting to shape up like one of the more surprise, maybe the most surprising race of 2022, not because, you know, oh, uh, this is a heavily democratic state or, or anything like that. Um, Ruby Kramer of the Washington Post did this long profile of Kari Lake and it really painted this very vivid, clear picture of Kari Lake as this just force of nature, right? Just, just this, larger than life personality and always being on and always being ready and eager to confront, uh, media interviewers. And just this, you know, in this sense, somebody said, you know, Trump, uh, she's not Trump in heels. She's actually Trump with, um, media training that yes. that she generally is like, yes, that same larger than life personality, but she's very good at focusing it on whatever message she wants to send out that day. She doesn't get distracted easily. And to have that in contrast with Hobbes is really fascinating. And the other thing is the refusal to debate. This is where there was this um, Arizona uh, Republic op-ed by Laurie Roberts. And here's the thing. When you're a conservative, you want your Republican candidates to be willing to take on the Democrats, Biden, wokeism, progressivism. Like you're, you're like, hey, go up there and make the case for why our side is better. And I have a sneaking suspicion that Arizona Democrats look at, you know, Katie Hobbs like, wait, you're not willing to get up on a stage and say why Trump bad, is bad? You're not willing to go up on that stage and say why Republican pol- policies are bad? What are you doing here then? And yeah. um, there's this, it was a little while ago, it was back on uh, October 12th, but it, it seems pretty relevant now. Um, the, the message, the the Hobbs argument is we're not going to, this, this debate will turn into a circus, right? We're just not going to. We're just not going to dignify this with a response, and um, and this, you know, it's the question from this uh, this columnist, Lori Roberts, is at a time when democracy is under attack, who better than Secretary of State Katie Hobbs to authoritatively debunk the centerpiece of Lake's campaign, her evidence-free claim of a stolen election? Right? And she she just gets mad, like you, like here is a liberal progressive columnist who is angry at the Democratic gubernatorial committee, who's like, what what are you doing here if you're not willing to stand up for what you believe in? And she says, Uh, you're not just letting down Democrats. She may well be letting down Arizona. Look, I don't, you know, also it's worth noting the polls have Lake with a small but consistent lead. And I just kind of look at that and I think, I I, I don't know how many Arizona Democrats necessarily stay home because of it, but I think it just kind of seems like it's stirring bad blood. And that says to me, this is a Democratic campaign that isn't confident in itself, that is afraid no. it's going to no. lose that messaging battle. And my suspicion is that if you're afraid like two, three weeks out from Election Day, it's a very ominous sign for how things are going to play out when all the votes are counted.
0: Yeah, because a lot of the Democrats across the country, the the big pundits, everybody's weighed in. So you have to debate. And I've said, you know, if I'm her, I debate the Friday before the uh the you know the election day because you might have a chance at least a lot of people have mailed their ballots in but I'll I'll tell you this I mean I've interviewed her a bunch of times and we we interviewed Carrie Lake once and uh, my on-air partner uh they got into a screaming match that was epic and it didn't last as long as it should have uh but uh Carrie is is really good at that stuff and she could be considered at times a bully and she does push out some stuff that's a little bit alarming but Hobbs said from the beginning she wanted Carrie Lake because she felt Carrie Lake's extremism was going to turn people off. What she didn't count on is her weak looking candidacy has turned a lot of people off as well, especially considering this state's pretty red as far as the state legislature. We may send, you know, the the blue to D.C., but the state itself is pretty dead red. How are you going to deal with any of these people if you won't even have a conversation or a press conference That's not planned.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that, yes, you know, Democrats had a nice cycle in 2018, nice cycle in 2020, have both the Senate seats, have a bunch of the House, you know, districts. But all in all, it's not it's not California. It's not New York. It's arguably not even, you know, Virginia. And so you look at that and you're like, okay, there's probably not a huge margin for error if you're a Democratic candidate. And if you're not willing to debate like that, that screams I'm afraid and I just think that's probably a bad stance for you know the closing days but I guess we'll see Chad I want to thank you because like this there are a lot there's certain things I think you only get from being there on the ground and I think your perspective is uh, just what I was looking for lately
0: well I appreciate it and like as Kenny Hobbs would say uh, you're totally like welcomed (laughs) <laughs> Which is not a good way to run a campaign. I am Chad Benson in for Greg You're three martini lunch are good, you're bad, and you're crazy. Uh, Jim, if people want to get a hold of you and check out all your awesome writings, where do they go?
1: Nationalreview.com. I contribute to The Corner several times a day. I write the Morning Jolt newsletter. And on Twitter, I am at Jim
0: Garrity. That's always good to talk to you. We'll do it again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Chad.
1: Energy philosopher and author Alex Epstein joins me to discuss why America's leaders must adopt an energy freedom policy to ensure we have the fuel we need to grow our families and communities. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll also break down a whistleblower report that claims the FBI has voluminous evidence of Hunter Biden's crooked actions in Ukraine and China. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.